Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. It only takes one. Thanks for getting that started. Props to you. Hey, so glad you're with us today. Uh, let me just real quick give you a heads up in two weeks. So next week I end the series in two weeks. Uh, we're doing what we call Vision Sunday. Actually, it'll be two-part message. And this is really important. If you're a part of our gathering, if you're new, you've been tracking for a while, we do this at least once a year. And our whole goal is to talk about why we're here as a church, as a reminder, kind of where we're going. And I just think those Sundays are really, really important. And here's the other thing a lot of times people miss. It's a great Sunday to invite somebody because you know like one or a hundred people that walked away from the church and it maybe didn't have anything to do with Jesus. In fact, most of the time it didn't. And so this is an incredible Sunday to go. They call it an alternative to church as usual. You should just come check it out because um, they may leave with a different perspective of what the church I think is supposed to be, what Jesus dreamed for it is. So that's in two weeks. Next week, uh, we end the plane on this series, You Are Not Far. And so today we're in part three. And as I was thinking about what we were gonna talk about, I thought of my now eight-year-old son. So last weekend, we did it up big. It was his eighth birthday. And he is my child that is most like me. It's not even close. Like all of my good qualities crammed in his little body, all of my bad qualities crammed in his little body. Um, Every once in a while, like something will happen discipline-wise. And Nicole's just like, would you go deal with yourself? Because we're so much alike. And so one of the things that he just got, maybe by osmosis, is dude's a little entrepreneur, a little negotiator, uh, which is great. I think I encourage that. And now it's a little off the rails um, because, you know, there's those certain times where you get so desperate as a parent, you'll just bribe your kids into doing something. Like ultimately my goal is do it for the right reasons, right motivation, great. But then there's other times I'm like, will you go do this for five bucks? Like I'll pay you to do this. So that just speaks to him. And so now we're at the phase where, Um, I'll ask him to do anything. And he's like, what are you going to give me? And then usually it's because he's just, he's thinking about as as an eight-year-old, what businesses can he do to make money? And so he's like, how much money are you going to give me? What are you going to do for me? And so at one level, I respect it. And then another, my answer is, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to continue to give you a place to sleep at night. I'm going to continue to let you eat my food, which is off the rails, how much that is right now. I'm going to continue to like clothe you. That's what I'm going to go do. Shut up and just do what I'm telling you to do. Um, And sometimes I say that too when I'm super frustrated. So, so here's the thing, and this is how it relates to us and like our spiritual journey. And I think this is a universal thing, but I might be wrong. If you're watching um, online, if you're watching um, or actually listening via unfiltered radio, podcasting, I just think this is a thing regardless of where you're coming from. But in everybody's spiritual journey, if you have one or if you've started following Jesus or you're considering Christianity, there's a point where the question you ask is, how is this going to benefit me? How do I get something out of this? Or what do I get out of this? How do I get what I want? How do I leverage this for my benefit? And I just think like that's a thing. 
And in fact, I don't even think you should feel bad about it. I think it's just a part of the journey and hopefully eventually you may move past it. But you're asking the question, what do I get? How do I get it? Now, here's the thing, here's the downside. Depending on kind of where you're at, this may be very different than the religious system you grew up in, but we talk about this a lot. It can become cliche, but Jesus has invited you into relationship. And it is impossible to have an authentic relationship with somebody for whom you're trying to get something from. Because you know that dynamic, right? In other relationships where you just know somebody's shady and you can't really trust what they're saying and they're measuring all of their words and they're very calculated. And you're just like, I don't feel like I can really get to know you. I don't think we can really have a relationship. The same dynamic is true in terms of relationship with God. It's why John, and we've been looking at his writings in the series, comes along and he, he writes these famous words or dictates them when he says, God so loved the world that God gave us everything. And he did it all at once. He gave us himself and he's invited us into relationship. And I'm fast forwarding way to the end, but if you look at John's writings over and over again, he talks about the fact that God has already given us everything. And that if you would ever move in his direction and begin to follow him at more than like an intellectual head level, here's what the writer of Philippians says, that you will, you will eventually move to a place to experience the peace of God that transcends and supersedes all of your human understanding. And maybe you've met people like this that seem a little naive and you're like, do you understand what's happening in your life? And yet they're able to move forward and experience events and yet they are okay somehow even when things are actually not okay. And they find a way in the seeming random events of life when everything is flying out of control to believe anyway that God has a purpose in that even if they don't see it and God doesn't seem to be answering their prayers and they continue to maintain faith and they continue to follow anyway. And, and they somehow grab a hold of and maintain the one thing that actually all of us are looking for, whether you realize it or not. Peace. In any situation, any circumstance, no matter what comes your way. And so in this series... John talks about that. And, and if you haven't been here and you are not far, we're tracking through the major miracles of Jesus as written down by John, who was with Jesus, hung out with Jesus, was an eyewitness to those miracles. And he comes along to go, hey, this is what happened in my time with Jesus. And, and basically, this is really, really important. John gives us the reasons why he began to follow Jesus. And it was not because of faith. And I just want to say that again real quick if you haven't been tracking because for some of you who are trying to figure this out and you don't know what you believe, somebody handed you a version of faith that just said, you just need to believe. You're like, well, I have a big, big question about all that. No, no, just, just trust. Just have faith. You're like, yeah, but what about and the scriptures? And I don't know if I can believe that. And are you sure about the dinosaur? I mean, whatever it is, the answer was just, just believe. Just, just have faith. Just trust. Jesus... And the writings of John never give us that version of faith. In fact, John believed because of what he saw and what he heard. That's very different. And so as he writes his account in John, which became the book of John, and he had no idea at the time that it would end up in this library of documents about what Jesus has done and, and documents that pointed to Jesus in this, it talks about the fact that, that John recounts Jesus' miracles that were actually not just miracles, they were signs. And those signs gave evidence that ultimately, based on that evidence, led them to believe. And if you know the story, it's important. They believed and then they didn't believe. And they got some evidence and believed again. And then they didn't believe. And then eventually they believed again. And then finally, they got enough evidence where they trusted who Jesus was and they gave their lives for him. 
And so John comes along to go, hey, just so you know, that's the sequence of events that led me to follow Jesus. And at the end of his life, he was willing to give up everything for it. But he makes sure that we know it wasn't just because I decided to believe and have faith. That is unintellectual, like religious system that Jesus never invites us into. He didn't just trust and then hoped it worked out. He saw enough evidence that led him to believe that and trust in. And that's what he's inviting us into as well. And so John comes along and he pins these words in John chapter 20, verse 31, toward the end of this book. But these are written that you would believe. And and these are written because you need to know what I saw and I heard. And I didn't just document what Jesus did. That's not enough. I documented who Jesus is. Because for some of you who've encountered religion or spiritual trauma and you've experienced all kinds of things in the name of God or religion, this is where John is trying to lead us. If you ever encounter Jesus, it has the ability to rearrange and transform everything about your life. And so he says that you would believe, and then this is, this is the tipping point, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And then the result, and that by believing, you may have and then that's the question, right? Like that's, that's the thing, honestly, we're all trying to answer at some per, certain point. What do I get out of this? Like, what can I expect? What's gonna be the outcome of all of this? And so today in the third sign that we're looking at, there's this, maybe the most famous miracle that Jesus ever did other than water into wine. The most famous sign that Jesus ever performed was what we know as the feeding of the 5,000, really the 5,000 plus. And in this narrative, in this sign that John was an eyewitness to, this tension exists because it it ends up that everybody is kind of asking the question, what am I in this for? And what do I get out of this? And where ultimately is this going to lead? And so John basically unearthed this tension and unearthed this question for all of us. If you're gonna follow Jesus, what do you get? And what are you in it for? And is what he's offering, is it enough for you? And so where we pick it up, Jesus had just performed these couple miracles. He's in um, Galilee, he goes back to Jerusalem and it ends up that this major event happens in the life of Jesus where his cousin and best friend is beheaded. And none of us can really imagine that, but that's a traumatic experience. We can't imagine that part. And so Jesus is like, I need to just get away. I need to get to a remote place. I need to get away from all of these crowds because this is a point in Jesus' ministry where he's being hounded. So Jesus gets on a boat, goes to the other side, Um, of this body of water, gets away in a remote place, secluded by himself. And that's where we pick it up because word spreads and people begin to hear about where Jesus is at and they will not leave him alone. And so John sits down to, again, document this probably through a transcriber. And he says this in John chapter six, verse two, Jesus, who's got away, he's at a remote place. John has just been killed. And it says a great crowd of people followed him. And they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. They weren't following him because at this point they had faith. They were following him because they had seen these signs. And Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. And there, at that point was nobody else there. And then the crowd started to show up. And then this is really important. And the Jewish Passover festival was near. Now, you read this, you tend to just skip on by this, but John is setting us up and he's putting this detail in here so that we would better understand how the crowd is about to respond in a few moments. Because right here, this is um, denoting the fact that they're celebrating Passover, which is the commemoration and celebration of when the Israelites were freed from Egyptian captivity. And they went into the, uh, the wilderness where they were for 40 years, 
but it was this annual reminder basically for Jewish people that we lose sight of that we need another Joshua. We need another Moses. We need somebody to rise up and to free us from basically Roman occupation and Roman oppression and bring back Israel to the golden age. It was kind of this nationalistic view of God, which, you know, 2,000 years later, we're still there thinking that like we want um, God, we want the Messiah, but we also want our political agenda. And so they're waiting for Joshua. They're waiting for Moses or a version of them to lead Israel back. And so when John's writing this, he's setting us up. This is a Jewish Passover and all the Jewish people know about it. And so verse five, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming, I don't know if this has happened, but I'm thinking somewhere sinless Jesus, but still also human. He's like, are you serious? Like, just leave me alone, please. Like, I have fed you, I have healed you. Like, could you just give me some time by myself? And there the crowds come toward him. And here's the thing that Jesus knew. He knew exactly why they were coming. He knew exactly what they wanted. And what he knew at this point is that he had done a ton of signs, he had done a ton of miracles, and they had been enamored with the sign and the miracle, but at this point, they were not enamored with the sign giver. They'd become absolutely enamored by the provision and they kind of overlooked the provider, which was the whole point. And so they're coming toward Jesus. They find him and he said to Philip, where shall we buy food for all these people to eat? Which no disrespect to Jesus because he knows exactly what he's doing. But on the outside, this is a stupid question because Philip's sitting there going, we're not even considering buying food to eat. Like nobody showed up here today thousands of people literally and thought, I wonder who's catering this. I wonder what they're going to give us to eat. I wonder what they have on the buffet. Like you can't feed this many people. That's not going to happen. And of course, like Jesus knows that. He asked this to test him because that's, that's very Jesus of him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. And so Philip answered him, it would take Jesus. I think you probably know this, but I'm just going to say it anyway. It's going to take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for everybody to have a, a bite. So where are we going to get food? I think you should already know this, but nowhere. There's not enough food to feed these people. There's no place to get it. And by the way, Jesus, you're from around here. You should know this. Like this is not going to happen. I don't know why you're asking the question. And then another of his disciples, and I think, I, again, I'm reading it. I think this is a little sarcastic. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. And he's like, okay, yeah, again, stupid question. Jesus, the only thing we've got, if you, if you want to know like what we've got to work with here, is a little boy's lunch, okay? So we're not even close. There's no way that we have any chance of fulfilling the needs of these people who are in 100 degree heat and are hungry out of their minds other than these five small barley loaves, meaning this boy is poor. That's not, you know, that's not like high-end cuisine. And he's there that day. He's got two small fish. And so Andrew's like, how far is that going to go? And they probably go over to the boy maybe to get his lunch. The boy doesn't want to go. And they're like, well, just go talk to Jesus. Because he's talking about food and feeding these people. And we just want to make a point. This is all we've got. And there's no place we can go get this. And there's no food truck showing up anytime soon. So Jesus said, <laughs> I love this. How do the people sit down? And there was plenty of grass in that place. And so they sat down about five. And this is really important why he addresses this. There's about 5,000 men there. Now, is Jesus just saying this because in a patriarchal society, they only pay attention to men? No, 
Because actually you look at the life of Jesus, he elevated the status of women. He, he introduces something new that was unknown in the ancient world. But the reason that, that John highlights the 5,000 men is because he knows what the crowd's thinking. And he knows where the crowd's imagination is going. In fact, that day, there's probably about 20,000 people out there. And again, Jesus is asking the question about how we're going to feed them. But here's what John knows he's recording this, that a Roman legion is about 5,000 people, 5,000 men. A Roman legion that would be kind of the fighting force of the Roman empire. And he knows what the crowd's thinking. He knows where their imagination is going. So he addresses the fact that there's 5,000 there. And then verse 11, it says that Jesus then took the loaves and he gave thanks. Now, just real quick, because you know this is a Bible story, or even if you didn't grow up in church, you've kind of heard this, and it's so easy to brush over all of this, and then he prays, and they feed 5,000 people, and it's amazing. I mean, just, let's just enter into the tension for just a second and imagine you're one of the disciples. Uh, actually, let's do this. Imagine I show up today, and I've got like a bagel. Not bagels. It's not one of those cool Sundays where like, we're just going to give everything. It's a bagel. And I, I come in like, hey, can we just pray over the bagel oh, that I brought all of you guys like, you'd be like, I'm not closing my eyes or praying for that. Like, I'm not gonna get any of the, of the bagel. And so here Jesus is, he's got the lunch of a little boy. And he's like, could all of us pray over this and thank God for the food? And the guy in the back that's like 70 rows deep is like, no, I'm not praying for that. I'm not gonna get any of that lunch. And so Jesus begins to pray and there his disciples are. And honestly, it's a moment that's ridiculous. Before you rush to the end, it's embarrassing. We find out that he gives the lunch to these guys, his disciples. Their backs are probably to the crowd. And you can imagine the, the probably terror in their eyes. Like as soon as we turn around, there's gonna be a riot. What do you want us to do with this? I don't know if you're tracking, there's 20,000 people behind us. And this isn't gonna do any good. And so Jesus gives it to them. He prays over it. In verse 11 and again, we're just like, oh yeah, this happened. But this is pretty incredible. They distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. And when they had all enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over and let nothing be wasted. And I think John, as he's writing this, is like, I know this is crazy, but I'm telling you, I was there. And we gave everybody something to eat. Everybody ate. There was thousands of people. And then I don't know how it happened. There was stuff left over. And so they gathered, verse 13, they gathered them, they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves and they left and left over by those who had eaten. And here's the thing again that, that maybe we miss. Everybody there kind of knew the context because they remembered the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt and they remember what God did. That out of nowhere, God would just provide food. In fact, he provided food from heaven, which is crazy. And, and they, this is the only difference, they would have just enough for the day. God would give them just enough provision for that moment. And the difference in this scenario is God gave them more than enough. And they're drawing the connection between ancient Israel and Egyptian captivity and wandering in the wilderness and everything God did in that moment. And now there's this guy who shows up feeding the multitudes and giving them more than enough. And it starts to prompt some of them to ask the question, who is this guy? Who is this man? What is this that he's doing? And so verse 15 or 14, after the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, not the miracle, it was a sign that pointed to something and what it pointed to ultimately, most of them not knowing it in the moment was Jesus' identity. Who he was 
and what he was about to bring to planet Earth. And so it says that after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. As you're gonna see in just a moment, they, they got it for just a moment and then they lose sight again. Like what I love in this moment is for just a second, maybe this is only minutes, maybe it's 15 minutes and then they go right back into what are you gonna give us Jesus? But for just a moment, they finally get their sight set on the sign giver rather than the sign, the provider rather, rather than just the provision. Like they get done with this whole thing and this is what many of us would think. You feed 5,000 people, you're like, Jesus, do you, um, do you understand how amazing this is? Like we could feed all of Jerusalem and just side note, there's little over overhead, a lot of profit margin, like we can take over this entire city. This is amazing if you would leverage this gift for the sake of all of the people who are hungry in this region. Like if you were just focused on the sign, that's kind of the takeaway in that moment. And yet they don't even think about the fact that thousands in this moment have been fed. They think about not the sign, but the sign giver. But Jesus knows it's just temporary and they quickly lose sight again. And also Jesus knows it's not his time yet. And what the crowd has in mind is not what Jesus has in mind. And so in verse 15, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, decides that he's gonna flee and get out of there and get away from the crowd and bring his disciples with him because he's afraid that they're gonna get caught up in the whole emotion of the situation because all of the Jewish people, or at least most of them in this moment are thinking if the first prophet Moses Freed, up, freed, freed us from Egyptian slavery? Surely the second prophet with everything that he's putting on display can deliver us from Rome. And in their imagination, this is what many of them thought, that there's 5,000 men here, the, the equivalent of a Roman legion. And this Jesus guy is gonna lead us into Jerusalem during the Passover and it's gonna trigger a revolt and it's gonna be exactly what we've been waiting for. So Jesus, knowing this and knowing their intentions to make him king by force and set up this political movement, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And he sends the 12 across the lake and says, guys, I know that it's easy to get caught. This is not happening. Go. Get to the other side of the lake. I'll join you there. This is not my moment. And by the way, I know it's hard to understand. This is not why I came. And the thing is, Jesus knew that eventually he would lead them into Jerusalem and through the gates during Passover. But it wouldn't be to be crowned king, it would be to be crucified. And so in this moment, he tells them to go to the other side and then same thing happens, that the crowds that had been around Jesus, the thousands of people begin to follow them over to the other side, right where Jesus had kind of found this new place to chill out. And little did they know that Jesus is about to thin out the crowds. And he's basically about to call all of them out and get to the heart of what they really want and honestly call all of us out. Like, like this is the moment for all of us, like in our street level, modern day kind of relationship with Jesus version of Christianity. This is kind of the equivalent when we ask those questions or actually make the statement of, I, like I just left Christianity because I just wasn't getting anything out of it anymore. I just stopped following because it didn't seem relevant and I just wasn't getting anything out of it anymore. This is the equivalent of like, I'm done with church and maybe I'm still trying to have some of the Jesus stuff on the side, but I'm not engaged. I don't serve. There's nothing in my life really that's kind of moving in that direction because I just don't feel like I'm getting anything out of that anymore. 
And this is the moment where Jesus starts to lead them and us to this place to recognize as long as you're looking for an it, you still haven't gotten it. And when they found him, Jesus, the the thousands of people that were just there at the feeding of the 5,000, really 20,000, now make their way over to Jesus and they find him on the other side and they asked him. And this is just so funny because this is... You cannot have an authentic relationship with somebody that you are trying to get something from. And so they don't even really care. They're just asking the question to kind of create small talk to get to what they really want to ask. And so they're like, Rabbi, um, when did you get here? They don't care when he got there. They're making small talk. They're calculating. They're trying to lead up to what they really want him to do. And Jesus, knowing that, I think shakes his head and is like, listen, God, let's just get to the point. Actually, let me get to your point because I know what you're doing. You're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. And I'm just telling you guys, you, you've missed the point of the sign. You thought the sign was the point. You, you thought the miracles were the point. You thought the provision was the point. All of those are great byproducts. That's not why I'm here. And then I think Jesus leans in and says to them and says to us, hey, don't work for. Guys, listen to me. Don't live for. Don't give your lives for. Don't leverage everything for food that spoils or whatever the equivalent is. But for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man is going to give you. And in essence, he's going, guys, you, you still don't know why I came. You still don't know why I'm here. I don't think you still really know what I'm offering because if you did, all this other stuff, as amazing as it is, it would pale in comparison. I'm telling you, I've come to offer something so much bigger and I don't think you guys understand whose authority I'm operating under. All authority, Jesus would say, has been placed under me. All power has been placed under me. I'm God in a body sent from God. I'm the only one that can command nature and nature is like, yeah, I'm gonna obey that. I'm the only one that can tell dead people to stop being dead and they listen. I'm the only one that can touch a blind man and immediately they receive sight. And the point is not the miracle. The point is a sign that points to who I am. I've come to offer something bigger, something greater. And all you can think about is lunch. And they're like, yeah, 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 Jesus, we hear you. Verse 30, but what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? And I think Jesus is like, are you kidding me? Basically, this is like what we do, right? And this is all of us. I'm in this category. Hey, Jesus, like, like, I get it, I get it, I get it. But if you would do this one other thing, I'm telling you, I'm all in. Like, I get it, I know what you've done, and that, that, I'm so grateful for that. But I'm telling you, if you would just do this, I'm there, I'm all in. Like, I'll surrender, sing the song. Like, if you would just help her to say yes, if you would just increase the market share, if you could just get this business off the ground, if you could just free me from whatever, if you could, I mean, whatever your thing is, that, that moment where as much as maybe you've seen, you're like, God, if you would just fill in the blank, then I would. And they're sitting there like, what? as much as they've seen, they're still like, we'll see and believe if you'll just do one, one more thing for you. Feeding the 5,000, 20,000 plus, that was amazing. If you would just do this one more thing. And then they're like, we're just spitballing. We don't really know, but like, let's just, uh, verse 31, let's just say this. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Could you do something like that? And then, then we'll be all in. Could you just rain down food from the sky, but make it meat and just, could you, if you would do that, we're all in with you, Jesus. 
And I think Jesus just shakes his head and looks at them to go, with everything that I've done, you're still thinking about food? Are you serious? You're still held prisoner to this moment and you don't understand why I'm here? Listen, another sign is not gonna help you. And little did they know, right? They're yards away on the shore of the Sea of Galilee from the presence of the light of the world. God in a body. They have no idea because they can't see past their appetites. They can't see past what they want and what they're trying to get. And John says this, I think it's so interesting, that during this time, those crowds of thousands and thousands of people, there's a bunch of people that just said, we're done, we're peacing out, we're unfollowing Jesus because it just doesn't seem to be benefiting us anymore. And you know what? Honestly, I'd give them a little bit of a break. Maybe they had an excuse. We don't. Because they were on the side of waiting for the promise of God to be fulfilled. They had not yet encountered a crucified and resurrected Savior. But now we are on the other side of that and the light of the world has proved it. The one that looked into the eyes of individuals and said, I'm not asking you to believe a teaching about resurrection and life. This is different than any other religion. It is personal. It is about me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And then he validated it by walking out of a grave alive and demonstrating and authenticating everything that he said about his life, that he really was the chosen Messiah come to earth, that lived the perfect life that we couldn't, died the death that we should have died, on the cross for all of our dysfunction, past, present, and future. And then he walked out of a grave alive and punctuated it in history. So there he was to go, I am everything that I said that I am. And now we are on the other side of that. And we don't really have any excuse because we are not waiting for the one who said he was gonna come. He's already here. He's already done something. And then he punctuated it in history. So we wouldn't just have to believe that or have faith in. It's based off of evidence that we serve a God of resurrection so that we could know. So I think the question is, like, what about me? Like, what, what about you? And what are you in this for? And maybe you're not at the point to ask the question, but I'm just telling you if, you, if you ever start this journey and some of you are still trying to figure it out and do I even wanna believe this and everything that I've experienced, I'm not really sure. And I get all that. I'm so glad you're tracking, listening on radio, watching. But for those of us who have at least taken a baby step in the direction of I wanna follow Jesus, eventually this is a question that you have to ask, like what am I in this for? Is it what I can get out of it? What I can get out of him? Because if so, honestly, we've never really come to the place to understand whom we're dealing with. You, and I don't know if you know how big a deal this is, you have been invited to follow Jesus who's already given you, unlike any other religion, everything in advance. The moment you place your faith and trust in him, he gives you the declaration of chosen, forgiven, son and daughter of God before he sees any other performance because it's all based off of his performance. And come on, man, those followers in the first century, they they started to follow. And we've talked about this before. They changed Western civilization with no influence and no money and no standing. 
and no leverage around anything. They upended Rome by the third century without assembling an army. They, come on, it's not an overstatement. They changed the world. And all they had after Jesus' death and resurrection was this one statement that replaced all the complication of the Old Testament and Old Testament covenant is that I want you to go love other people the way that I have loved you. Just do that. I know it doesn't seem like a lot. You'll change the world. Trust me. Can you imagine if as followers of Jesus who were all in, where we started to shift the paradigm from what can I get to how can I follow? And for like a month, just Centerpoint Church and people all over our neighborhoods and our cities and in your home when nobody else sees away from the, I did seven things and I sang the song. If we really began to follow to go, okay, what this looks like is I'm gonna love you, not the way you wanna be loved in return. It's actually bigger than that. I'm gonna love you the way Jesus has loved me. I'm gonna see other people on the other side as made in the image of God. And I'm gonna extend kindness and empathy and grace and mercy. I'm gonna move toward people who don't deserve reconciliation. And I'm gonna try to reconcile them because I understand this one fact. I didn't deserve reconciliation. I'm as far away from God as anybody else. And I need help and I need a savior. And if he's been willing to do that for me, I can do that for you. Can you imagine if we just did that? Can you imagine what would happen? Can you imagine what kind of difference would take place in culture because of the Jesus followers who don't lean to the right or to the left or take on some version of, they just follow Jesus and do what Jesus did. So listen, the question is not, what do I get out of this? And I get, there's a point you should, you're just naturally gonna ask that question. But at some point it's got to move, not to what do I get out of this, but really the question that Jesus is provoking us to ask, who do you believe I am? Who do you think I am? What do you believe about my identity and why I'm here and why I came? And for some, for a lot of them, honestly, they believed he was a magic rabbi. And when the show was over, they pieced out and they unfollowed Jesus. But then there was a remnant that saw signs and they saw evidence and they believed and then they didn't believe and then they believed and on Easter weekend, they didn't believe again and then after a resurrection, they believed again and then they finally trusted in. And they were willing to give their lives and they began to follow Jesus and they expected nothing in return. And eventually, at the end of it all, God gave them more than they could have ever imagined. God gave himself. And so as we close and get ready next week to land the plan on this series, I just want to encourage you as a follower of Jesus specifically, and if you're not there, you don't need to be there yet. My hope is that you keep tracking, keep asking questions, keep investigating. And if you ever cross the line of faith, I just want to encourage you, this is what Jesus is inviting you into. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you simply operate on what is God gonna give me? How can I pull the right mechanisms? How can I leverage? How can I get what I think God should give me because I've been faithful? As long as you live there, I'm telling you, you will miss what Jesus wants to do in your life because it is impossible to have an authentic relationship with somebody for whom you are trying to get something. So Jesus says to us, stop negotiating. Say yes to me. Don't, don't settle for this kind of game you've been playing. I want you to follow me. 
And that's hard to do, but it's easy to understand. It means getting up every day to go, Jesus, I wanna begin to as much as I can, as much as I lean in you to drop all of the agenda I have on the future and just pray, God, help me to know your direction and your will and help me to follow it. And if I do, help me to believe, not just an intellectual level, but a heart level. You'll go with me. You'll lead me. And I'm not always gonna know what's on the other side, but come on, God promises that he will clarify in the midst of obedience, not beforehand. And what if you began to change the outlook of your life to recognize it's not some outcome? Jesus said, like, no, actually, you may get to the end of it and there's gonna be trouble in this world, but take heart, I'll go with you through all of that. But what if you begin to shift the focus to go, it's not about an outcome. The win of my life is not about some specific outcome. I have no ability to control those. The win is I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm gonna obey Jesus. I'm gonna submit, and I know this is big language, but surrender my life to Jesus and maybe pray in the words of Jesus. Your will be done. In other words, just follow him. And I'm just gonna tell you, you have every reason to on this side of the cross and the resurrection. And you have almost no excuse not to. God, and if you're still investigating this, this is the thing to to study and investigate. God has done something in history and he marked it. He rose from the grave as proof. He has already given us everything. And so John says, these are written that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing in the Greek, literally trusting in, you may have life in his name not life tethered to an outcome. The life that Jesus is talking about that maybe you've seen other people live is a life that can walk through difficult stuff and somehow still be okay. A life that can walk through uncertainty and not having a prayer answered in five years and still believe that God has a purpose and God is with me. To move through things that they don't understand and still believe that their faith and their hope is not in vain. And at the end of it all, have the thing that all of us are seeking, whether we realize it or not. peace. And when that's enough, I'm just going to tell you, your life begins. But until that's enough, it's possible that you reduce your savior to the size and the significance of a food truck who never has the right things on the menu. And you'll find yourself negotiating with the God of all creation. So Jesus says, Stop being a consumer. Shift the question, follow me. Let's leave our mark as followers of Jesus with the spirit of God inside of us. Let's leave his mark because what you have been invited into is no small thing. And maybe, maybe if you would choose to follow, God might do more than you even imagined. God God might change some stuff. He might change more than you. He may change the multi-generational tide that nobody's been able to undo. He may change your family. He may change our neighborhood. Through what God is doing through our movement, he could change our city. If we would decide that we're gonna take that one simple invitation and surrender everything when Jesus says, I want you to follow me. So as we close, I have no idea where this hits you and I don't want this to be some moment that reminds you of some kind of spiritual trauma to sing a song and coerce you into the decision. That's not how I wanna end this. So how I wanna end this is just to give you a few moments. 
And if this is something that, you hit, that hits you, great. If it's not, and you're not even there, and you still get the end of this to go, I, I can't believe any of this, that's fine. God's never gonna force his way or will on you. So you can just sit and chill. But for others of us, this is a moment. So I know there's some things and areas in my life where I'm negotiating, where I'm trying to figure out what I can get or, or ultimately I, how I can pull the levers to get what I want out of God. And this is just a moment of surrender to go, God, I don't wanna do that anymore. Your will be done. I surrender my life to you. So wherever you're at in the room, just, just kind of out of respect for maybe what God's doing and people around you, if you just bow your heads, close your eyes, I just want you to take this kind of moment of silence for God to speak, for our team in this moment to begin to lead us. And then in a few seconds, I'm gonna come back and pray. And then you can just stay seated where you are. But I don't wanna just end this and you go your way. I wanna give you an opportunity to just to think over it, to maybe sing it, to process it in your mind. But wherever you are, I just wanna give you this moment to just ask the question, what does it look like for me to surrender?
Jesus, I thank you so much for what you're doing in this moment. I know it's all over the place. And so I pray for the person who's still trying to figure it out, still asking questions, still investigating that, God, they would feel more comfortable and safe to do that in this place or via media, wherever they're at than ever before. And I pray that even in that, that somehow, even though they haven't crossed the line of faith or belief, that they would begin to get the idea of what we believe is true. And that is you are not far. You're not asking us to just simply believe or have faith, but you have done something to anchor it to history so that we could know. And I pray for those of us who have followed, maybe begun to follow. We're in a place right now where we're, we're teetering and it's easy to begin to have the temptation to unfollow. I just pray that you would do something in this moment where we would shift the question, that we begin to trust you in a different way to, to stop asking what can we get And instead, how can we follow and what does that look like? And to surrender our lives to you. And so wherever this hits, God, I pray that you would give us wisdom to know what to do, give us courage to do it. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.